you. Are now about to witness the awesome crushing a might of the UG. S. Robinson uh, Show the ball. Welcome, my friend. To a show that I'd like to say almost never ends, but man, I've had technical difficulties up the Yazoo. Yazoo. And those of you who are waiting to hear about this on, on Twitter, it hasn't happened because Twitter's not working for me. Nothing is. However, you are pleasantly here, pleasantly and presently here at V7. Three, the Eugene S. Robinson Show Stomper. I am your host, Eugene S. Robinson. We're going to try to get you caught up in a very serious way. Uh, since uh, I've been out for two weeks, and I'm going to explain to you everything as soon as quickly as possible, as quick, fast, in a hurry. As soon as Bob Riley sings the words that kick it all off, my friends. Those of you who come in late, you do so because you didn't click that little bell up in the top that notified you that the show was happening. I can't again trust Twitter. It's fucking me now. But let Bob Riley sing it all. From intro, All of Nothing by Stigmata. Calling it a just. Nothing. All right, my friend. I was getting lost in the song. Uh, let me get the speaker on. I'm trying to send out. Hey, hey, if one of you who actually made it in were to tweet it out, I could retweet it. And that way, uh, people would know where to find it. But right now, if I could show you, I would. I'm getting the spinning ball of death uh, on Twitter. Oh, look at that. The mic, the mic actually works. So that we got something going on. The little blue, hey, the little blue balls. No, no, it's still working on, yeah, here we go. The little blue balls. It's still working. Uh, gift from Roma Raider, a listener just like you, and also the stands. So I don't have the fucking lights bounced on pillows and shit like that. Uh, you two could make this show better. Uh, one of you, one of you Weisenheimers were like, uh, Eugene is begging for money and he's going to, to Europe. Yeah, well, uh, uh, you, you do know that uh, uh, that was partially paid for by uh, by Ozzy because of uh, interviewing. Uh, the plan was to interview Eva Kaur whilst I was over there at Auschwitz. Um, and she died 
uh, July 5th, she died. Um, right before the, whatever it is, the 50th anniversary. She was a phenomenal interview. I, I teased it as part of uh, Ozzy Confidential, which it will still be, but she got back to Auschwitz where she had been, um, where she had been uh, operated on by Dr. Joseph Mengele as part of her now forgiveness project, which will continue on post her death. Um, but that, that's kind of partially why I was there. And then uh, a friend of ours were getting married in Poland um so but what that means is for two weeks i haven't bugged y'all about money i we're coming up at the end of the month uh i haven't done two weeks of shows in the month of july i'm anticipating correctly that june was one of the best months that we ever had in terms of y'all going to patreon.com slash the stomper and i'm going to predict because i've only done what two shows in july that um that this will be one of the worst months unless y'all are remembering even if i don't do the show that the show's got to be paid for especially since august 1st we got to get off of the free hangouts on air and we got to switch to some other shit uh because it's gonna stop and so we're gonna go we're gonna try something else that will actually have a cooler function uh i gotta try it during the week before august 1st that i'll let you call in so your faces could be on the screen and people are like you do you think that's a good idea having people got you know what i don't really give a shit you know you can't crank call king crank and so i, I don't I, I feel perfectly okay with you guys calling in though it though it might interrupt my flow um but let's uh I, if you have come very specifically and only for mma chatter you might want to get in on the, on the latter half of the show the show as it is started a minute late as it is i haven't been able to tweet out that that i'm doing the show so i probably only got about three or four use uh, uh listening uh, that would be specifically the ones who have the notifications i'm checking right now oh thank you mr pt thank you uh uh, uh, uh lice is not what i am live now i guess i should check to make sure that link is uh is actually to the show uh and let me see oh yeah it is <laughs> good perfect thank you mr pt so um so everybody else should be jumping in momentarily um so but the mma shit's not going to be in half because I, I have a few things i'd like to talk about um otherwise and yes my eyes are tired i've been bouncing around i'm deeply in debt uh of course because um Remember when I darkly hinted at stuff before, and if you pay attention to the show long enough, in dribbles and drabs, it came off what I darkly hinted at before. Well, we're in one of those darkly hinted at moments again, where um, where I uh, where it, it's a I know I can talk in a code that only you will understand, but that spies who don't follow the show won't understand do not explain this in twitter for people who are spies who need the explanation but we are in a sausages and plates scenario i'm dealing with routinely people who have larger plates larger sausages the methodology behind sausage on plates is that those with large plates and large large sausages know any interaction with you will necessarily before you even open your mouth result in a transfer of sausages 
from their plate to your plate. They want to avoid this. Not the 1%. I don't have any problem with the 1%. I'm talking about the 1% of the 1%, you know, or like Jello Biafra saying, oh, we got a bigger problem now. Friends of President Reagan and all of you know, President Reagan, all the friends of President Reagan. I'm not talking about that. It's not about a political affiliation in this instance. It's about the raw structure of power. Now, somebody once cleverly said about it in an Oxbow review, they said that Oxbow is an extended meditation on the nature of power and, 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 and the currency upon which power draws itself, which is violence, right? <clears throat> for, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a lot of, um, in Nazi Germany, and I spent some time in Berlin on this last trip, and once again, a lot of this stuff came flooding back to me in very significant ways. But in Nazi Germany, the talk presaged, uh, violent talk presaged violent action. Words like extirpation, pulling something up by the roots, extermination. These had become part of, of common, uh, common parlance in speeches, in written words, in die Sturma, the newspaper. It, it had changed the narrative as to how people thought about other people, and more importantly, about how the nation would be perceived, all right? Um, I'm not going global here. I'm going micro to explain to you what's going on with me. So the power of violence, the political power of violence is always implied. Now, you take somebody who's got a good deal of personal power, for example, me, People say, how is it that you're over 45 and you almost get into fistfights? I almost got into a fistfight today. I am at 24-hour fitness working out. I trained, ran, then I went to do squats, legs, lower back. I see a soul uh, a man standing on a squat by a squat rack. Um, I go over and say, uh, uh, Kasha and I go over and about to start together. Say, oh, you have many sets left? The guy goes, yeah, I got your fucking number. I go, no, no, man, I'm just asking if you have any sense of He goes, yeah, fuck you, bro. I will slap the fuck out of you. This happened like three hours ago. I go, hey, man, first of all, you need to fucking relax. And I've discovered in the history of, of humans, nobody has ever relaxed, been, nobody has ever relaxed when encouraged to relax. It inflames them. And as it did with this guy, and I was like, first of all, you got to relax. And as I'm walking away, I feel something strike my side. I look, the guy has thrown a rope at me, a jump rope. I look and it hits the floor. I goes, I go, wait a minute. Who do you think I am? He goes, you know who the fuck you are. I go, I'm Eugene. Who do you think I am? I see you back here behind the desk. I go, man, I've been in Europe, in New York for the last month. I don't work at 24-hour fitness. Now, I suspect maybe you might be talking about my friend Eddie, who's a good six inches shorter than I am. Though the same complexion. And the guys were mad. Oh, 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 shit, bro. I'm sorry. Guy apologized and shaking hands. There's a guy here who's always fucking with me. Just a cat. I just, I can't. I said, first of all, I can't imagine I look like anybody else in here outside of the complexion. And this guy was African American, so he should have been hit to it. It's not like all white people, see all black people all the same. Fuck that. He should have known. The point is, that I learned to fight because I learned that philosophy has to be backed by 
political power, by which we mean very specifically the violence or the threat of violence. If you have somebody who has a large amount of personal power, in other words, the likelihood of you beating me is very low, which mystified me that this cat who's like about five foot seven and about 160 pounds really thought that this was going to work to his benefit. But he had had enough. So in the sausage and plate scenario, I am being held to the fire by people who have more sausages. Expensive sausages. So I have been, oh, God damn it, I'm in the world's worst spy. Okay, all right, how about this? For, your, for those of you whose collective memory goes back far enough, let me see if I can do this. Remember the last thing that I spoke darkly of that I've hinted at it dribbles and drabs on if I did and if the shoes fit? Well, the same thing is going on now. I don't say this for any other reason, but just to give you my frame of mind that, you know, the righteous man is beset on all sides by forces of iniquity. And that's what's happening now. And I'm going to have to leave it there. But I did start to think about what we we're talking about on one of the old shows where you have you have the, the rule sets. You have the Quran. You've got the Talmud, the Torah, the Bible, you know, the uh, uh, Buddhist text, all of which are, 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 are rule, rule books, rule books disseminated by the, the, the macro intelligence that's really guiding the game that we're currently playing, the simulation that we're currently involved in that we call uh, life. Right. I started to think like I just saw and we're going to cover it later on You Killed Me Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I start to think about uh, the bad brains in that in the movies. You get the, uh, a child is influenced by the make believe and take advantage of this truth as a cold heart. that you're looking at movies the wrong way, H.O. I think what's happening with these movies is that these have become they're on par with the Torah, the Talmud, the, the Quran, the Bible, that these are. Um, it is, it is news. It is informative and it's supposed to, how many movies have you seen that have caused a disseminated or, or the plot theory is that whether it's eternal thing of the spotless mind or, or matrix or a vanilla sky or any of these movies that say this reality to quote Bob Dylan or Nick Cave or you, your preference, that death is not the end, but this reality is a phase this is a, it, it, it is a phase, it is a micro phase of a macro game. And you see these movies that fundamentally um, decouple from, from logical progressions. David Lynch is great for that. Because for him, he seems, he, he believes that uh, like Antonioni, who does that movie La Ventura, where they go out on a vacation, and the woman disappears after an argument and never turns up because most mystery movies are mystery solved. That's not a mystery. My movie is a real mystery. You don't know what happened to the woman at the end. You never know because why? Because movies are dreamscapes. Dreamscapes are those places that we all go to when we close our eyes and collectively engage our consciousness with each other in, in a minor micro, in a minor macro sense above the Quran. It, uh, you know, above the Torah, above the Talmud, above the Bible, but not quite in the maker realm where we can stand behind the simulation and go, oh, I see. That's a football game. 
That's a crooked game. That's life. That's the time, the material measure of, 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 that's a material measure of here, there, distance, time, life, and death. That is the game. These movies, you know, from everybody wanting to, to rush Area 51 and all these, are essentially pointing you back to the same source. E.T., phone home. Even up to and including great books of philosophy where the, the, the Platonic triad, where they said, look, the Demiurge, is, which was where demons came from, were actually messengers between the realm of eternal ideas and the material world. In other words, that world above all those religious texts and down here where we think about here and there and life and death and time and space. So all of these things, all of these things are pointing to the fact that, I mean, at, at a certain point, I'll give you an example, a very personal example. Uh, I'm hanging out with this woman. I see her on campus. You know, I just graduated. I was just about to graduate from college. And I kept seeing her. You know, and you're young enough, you can't figure out that this actually means something that you can't see. You keep seeing somebody that, you know, you're going to participate. You're about to participate in each other's lives. And we start hanging out. And she comes over to my house to hang out. And she goes, well, let's watch a movie. Now, I'm one of those kind of like, you know, autistic, um, you know, Asperger syndrome. If I say I'm going to watch a movie, we're going to watch a movie. So we lay on my bed to watch the movie. And I guess apparently it was hot. So she decides to take her shirt off to lay down. She's, you know, laying down her head on my chest. She's hot. Now she takes her shirt off. That doesn't mean shit to me. I'm no Johnny Boney Joni. This means she's hot, right? Got the autistic thing going. Yes, it's hot. Well, then she takes my penis and he puts it in her mouth. And I was like, whoa, um, I guess this, this, is, this is what friends do with each other. Um, but the movie is still going. It, it might be fair to say at this point um, that we were involved in a therapeutic use of psychedelics. That might also help you to understand where we frame of mind. So I'm still laying there. I have an erect penis, but I'm watching the movie and I'm kind of watching what's going on. And I'm not, I am not, I'm not getting any of the hints because I'm in a place now that's beyond hints. What's happening is really happening. It doesn't reference other things that are happening. It is what it is. Eventually she sees she's getting nowhere with me. I mean, obviously I'm aroused, but so she takes her clothes off and she climbs aboard. And then I finally go, okay, now we are qualitative quantum. We are having sexual contact. This is not just what friends do, though friendly people can do it. This is erotic sexual activity. That's how many hints it took me. How many movies is it going to take? How many, how many, how many signposts is it going to take for you to understand that we're involved in a rule set? That, that 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 guides our actions through the playing of a game after which we go to another place fully imbued with a kind of consciousness a meta consciousness that 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 will have as much need for the lives that we're presently referencing in the simulation as we do 
of remembering what we had last Tuesday to eat or what we wore last Wednesday. I go to places like I go to places like 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 Auschwitz. Maybe maybe you're texting me. Is there a problem? Uh, I go to a place. What's happening? Yeah, Equus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, good movie. Jenny Agutter, one of my favorite actresses from that period, and Peter Firth, um, early Peter Firth. Um, so, 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 you know, I've, I've been thinking all of these signs, all of these signs about about the fact that uh, that the impermanent, the impermanent place is a simulation, is is, and I start to think, well, I need to take this more seriously because fundamentally. Those of us who are doomed to have to play the game again haven't done. That's not a successful reward necessarily. In other words, those who desire to come back don't always desire to come back for the best of reasons, and it gets confusing to me. I, I hate the idea of talking about evil because it has a moral dimension. Now let me switch tracks for a bit. I, I, I want to talk about. I'm going to get into the Johnny Boney Joni thing and the McNuggets thing, but I want to talk a little bit about. Um, language and i want i was telling a story and this is in preparation for talking a little bit about once upon a time in hollywood and uh um i'm sitting telling a story to a bunch of people and there's a woman a, gr a group of people mixed company men and women i'm 18 years old and i say so i just come from all my time in Brooklyn, hanging out at the gym with the mafioso cats. So I'm telling this story, and I'm like, "Hey, hey, US. so anyway, so this chick, and Angie Ardvitson, who's now dead, was murdered by a, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed laundry delivery man in 1982 in Stanford campus." I hear noises. Produce my firearm here. Um, she. So I say, so I know these these chicks, you know, and and that, and she goes stops and goes, chicks. And I look at her and I understand the point that she's making instantaneously. And I go, yeah, okay. So anyway, these chicks, and I continue my story. And people would say, okay, well, you've done some variation of what men have done always: Iron John, men's rights activists. You've taken the input from her and you've disregarded it. And, and I go, well, because she was believing that I was using chicks. As like a honey baby, a honey baby diminutive for woman. In actual fact, I was referencing fifties beatnik culture, and I used the word cats several times to describe men and chicks to describe women. But she was obsessing over the chicks and trying to make a political point that was anti-story. So the reviews I've seen, the negative reviews I've seen of Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood, Tarantino's ninth movie. Have have borrowed several pages from the outrage culture encouraged by social media, and have placed it squarely in an, in in in, uh, in opposition to a guy who made a movie that clearly, in my mind, is a is a Romana clef of a, a work of art. Uh, fucking Quentin Tarantino has actually become a man finally, and his concerns are the are the concerns of a middle aged man, and so the movie, in my mind, has macro themes of what we're just talking about above these these religious texts of permanence impermanence you know finiteness infinite how to stay relevancy 
which is what David Bowie called my friend and said, do you think I'm still relevant? Imagine getting a call from David Bowie asking if he was still relevant. So the outrage culture indicates, okay, I'm a film critic. I have to critique this movie. And so talking about, oh, there's nothing for the women to do in the movie and Sharon Tate is, is merely a cipher. I hate to say it, but to understand what kind of genius this movie is, you have to probably have been born in 1960, 60 years, 61 or 62. Most of these movies, I'm sitting there like the Studio 54 movie I'm watching going, ah, bullshit, bullshit, I was there, that's not the way it was. People didn't dance like that, these phony fucking hairstyles. Can't they have somebody accurately? This was the most radically accurate take that I've seen on 1969 ever because he didn't fall for the easy shit. I mean, from bottles of Ginate on somebody's vanity that I, I mean, shit I haven't seen since my Aqua, Vel, uh, Aqua, you know, just shit I haven't seen, like coffee, you know, coffee cans and different things. The movie was rife with detail. It was painstakingly constructed. Yeah, okay, it, it did cost like, Oh, bro. Okay. He was calling me, dude. <laughs> Video called to the show. That was creepy. Creepy as fuck. Don't do that. Not until I have the new system where you can actually call it to the show. Um, so it was painstakingly done, but they're hung up on the fact that, you know, Sharon Tate, you, maybe you don't remember, she was not a star. She was a very minor league star on par with, uh, I can't even think of somebody who she's on par with. I mean, like, uh, um, a pretty face appeared in a few bit parts in movies. Most noteworthy achievement was marrying Roman Polanski pre pre anal rape of a thirteen year old girl. And if you remember correctly, if you go to ozzy.com, ozy.com, and type in Charles Manson's name, you can read all about my my connections to Manson. That's ozy.com uh, about my relationship with him from the eighties and my running afoul of the family, the Manson family, and them threatening me and so on, all written about. But I thought the movie was great. We're gonna cover it later on You Kill Me, the film reviews for Reprobates, but I don't wanna spend all my time talking over Kasha. I don't think it's fair, and it's a shorter review show than this show. But I can say that you know the critique based on, uh, on first of all, outrage culture and its desire to find something wrong with everything is misplaced. Picasso was an absolute fucking prick. But the, you know, do not tell me stand in front of Guernica and, and ask me to critique it based on modern standards. Say, well, this movie is new, so we should, yeah, but it's referencing 1969. You know, the problems, I, I guarantee you, had it been cast another way, I, I mean, look, this is, I don't want to shake the hustle. I don't want to shake. These people have to do it, you know, they have to critique it a certain way, and I'm sure they believe it. And fundamentally, it's a filmmaker's fault if you haven't been engaged enough to, you know, um, if you haven't been engaged enough in the movie so that you're not thinking of these things. But if you go to a movie with a pad in your hand, you're not immersed in the movie. If you go into a movie after reading all the press and the previews and the reviews, other reviews, you're not really seeing the movie, you know. You're seeing a simulation of a simulation of a simulation. That's the wrong way to go. Somebody was talking about how drums hadn't been used forever. So what do you mean? I hear drums and songs all the time. He goes, no, you're hearing samples. You're in synthetic samples of drums triggered by a drummer, but that are not actually drums. I could trace it back to a source and it's an electronic, you know, uh, 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 
uh, trigger, and that's uh, okay. I got you. I see what you mean. In other words, if I could jump through the record, through the cable, back into the recording studio, I would not find at the end of the microphone on the other side a drummer sitting at a drum set. I would just find a guy at a machine pushing buttons. Right. Simulation. So I'm advising you to go see Once Upon a Time. I got no dog in that hunt. I don't know Tarantino. Haven't met him. I have a couple of degrees of separation from him. I'm not slavishly devoted to his movies. I find some of them have been kind of boring. I kind of uh, sticky, you know, but um, this is a, a bona fide uh, a movie and heavily affected by David Lynch in my mind because much like our present reality, these guys have all gotten into like uh, uh, Antonioni. Like, I don't have to follow, follow any logical progression. A zeitgeist in, embraced by the show, you might, you might know, even though I managed to do a callback and usually by the end of the show, square the circle. As I'm doing now, because this has a ref the reference point to me is is Johnny Boney Joni. And I know you all have Johnny Boney Joni fatigue. And I'm talking about those who are not already opposed to him. TMZ followed up. We have friends at publications. They might like a story like that. TMZ followed up and somebody thinking, well, hey, you know, it's an ill wind that doesn't blow somebody some good, decided that they could make some money selling photos that they had taken that night on the sly of Johnny Boney Joni and his brother Chandler in the strip club. Photos they took all night that showed them pretty dutifully sitting and watching the show with the women sitting on their lap. Establishing a timeline, not showing any slapping, any vagina grabbing, any choking. Now, they didn't, you know, they, we haven't seen the security cams, we haven't seen anything else, but what's emerging is, is that a guy who's got a lot of wherewithal is being set upon by people who don't have nearly as many plates with nearly as many sausages on them. That should be understood. Johnny Boney Joni's got to get the fuck out of New Mexico. I understand it probably clever. It's a Western version of what he, <gasps> excuse me, of what he's used to having grown up in Endicott, uh, Endicott, New York, which is not New York City, New York, but up, 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 and like rural in my mind. As a New Yorker, fucking rural, it feels the same. There's a lot of good nature, which is the first thing that he ever said that caught my eye, my ear, where he said, I want to go after beating Stephen Bonner. I want to go commune, commune with nature. But the reality of it is you, you're in a town in which you're the richest guy in town. you got the biggest plate with the most sausages, and you need to understand something. Uh, figure out something that Tiger Woods uh, didn't figure out before it's too late. If you were the richest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Because you're not getting out of that. It's like when I used to bounce for strippers and they went to a party full of hockey players and those guys got progressively drunk. And I realized, huh, being a bouncer for strippers is not that fucking easy. Because though I am armed with a pistol, how many of these guys are going, am I going to shoot to keep her from being raped? And how is that going to stand up in court? Hockey players are drunken fucking big cats and I had to throw this chick over my shoulder and run out. Without drawing the gun, because once you draw the gun, somebody's got to get shot. So yet another reason why I, I find myself identifying with strippers more. But in this instance, it's not. It's a class war. And that class war, that class war, I haven't figured out where that sits in the whole continuum of great, great rule set books and 
you know, post-death, you know, infinite realities. I haven't figured out where wherewithal stands. Money is an abstraction. I can't use it to heat myself. I can't use it to, I can't eat cash. But somehow, somehow the whole money thing, it, it factors into that. You know, like the great line that Dom DeLuise had from the 12 chairs when he got up to the top of the cliff that they were chasing with the chair that he thought held all the diamonds. And he goes, why do you think God gave me the strength to get up here but denied you the same? The whole Cain and Abel story is a grand, great mystery. But you're not going to be hanging around in fucking Albuquerque, New Mexico. All the women there knew him already. What does that mean, knew him? You think he was just a regular habitue and they knew his face? They knew of him, about him. Right now, it looks like he's fucking innocent. What's happening? What's happening is he's realizing some fucking hard truths that a young young man uh, should have figured out by now. Celebrity makes you fucking weird because it makes other people weird because they don't see you. They see a collection of sausages. This is not exculpatory. I'm just telling you that the preponderance of the evidence seems to be tilting in favor of the fact that he's being set upon. Like Tiger Woods, who's going to be tearing with cocktail waitresses and think they're going to be perfectly happy with his fucking penis while he gallivants back to his you know $400 million house and they're struggling to pay rent. You can't play that way. And I've been hanging around with celebrities, sports celebrities, and I know that they forget. I, I'm not going to tell you who the sports celebrity is. We're out at dinner, a dinner that I was paying for, incidentally. And he says, yo, give me a bottle of, he orders the most expensive fucking bottle on the menu. I go, Jesus Christ, I talked to his agent. I go, hey, man, I can't fucking pay for that. He goes, relax, relax. He talks me down. And he goes, just go down and just tell him quite nicely that you can, you know. I go, okay, okay. He goes, oh, look, I'm sending you down like, uh, 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 <laughs> like Buchos Buchos Golly. I don't want you to get to the end of the table like Mike Tyson. But no, no, I'm okay. And I go, sit down and i'm envisioning that scene from goodfellas where he smashes the glee gonna embarrass me in front of my friends you fucking prick you and so i walk down and say i lean into the guy say hey man you have a good time yeah yeah hey um that's a seventeen hundred dollar bottle man i i can't i can't i can't do it he's like oh 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 shit oh don't worry i'll take care of it cool for him seven hundred dollars is couch change these guys would be, I'd be hustling back to my room at two in the morning. Go, what are you doing? I go, man, I, I've got to get up at seven to get to work. And they're like, work? They, they live in a different place. If you're hanging out with your brother Chandler, I got I got it. You guys have just rolled differently at this point. It doesn't change the fact that money is not an abstraction for those of us who don't have it. See, this is a callback. I've never wanted to be a friend of mine once said, you know, something that said, Eugene, I, I believe it. Anybody tell me any, I believe anything. You're unpredictable. I could do what kind of character witness would you be? Don't fucking tell people that I would do anything. You could do anything, Eugene. You could do the fuck out of here with that. It's not helping me. My wife said that she was nervous. I finally met my father-in-law in Poland. And she said, she said, ah, you know, my mother and I were very tense. I go, why? She goes, well, my father is very unpredictable. I go, oh, yeah. And she goes, you, on the other hand, I go, huh? are very predictable. I go, oh, I think I resemble that remark. What do you, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, well, it is what it is, you know, very predictable. 
you, sir, very predictable. And I was like, yeah, I guess in a very certain way that, that I am. So Johnny Bonagione is, 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 he's now trying to refocus. He has, he's thought, well, you know, I put a good fights, good camps. I'm out. I could go have a, not the, in my mind, the biggest faux pas is one, forgetting that you were rich and don't fuck around with me with this. I know if you were listening to the old knuckle up, you would know about that fight I got into uh, with Oleg instigated, not with me, but with the whole bar by this guy who introduced himself as Oleg Toktorov's cousin. Turns out after I talked to Oleg, I said, ah, I was hanging out with your cousin. He goes, I don't have a cousin. It was just a ru crazy Russian guy. Almost got me in a fight at this whole big bar in, in Hollywood. But what, what was precipitated the fight was one of the Atlanta Falcons was there. And the guy was very clear. He said, it was a porno party, porno film party. I think like uh, uh, Wicked or, or Red Light District, one of those companies. And he was like, I'm not even supposed to be here. Belladonna was there. Yeah, I, I can't remember who the stars were that were hanging out. But it was a private party. And he was like, I'm not even supposed to be here. And, of course, the Russian guy instigates a fight because I turn around and his girlfriend had bought some woman for me to meet. But his fucking his enabler, the football player's enabler, swoops on the woman when I turn around to get a drink and the Russian guy fucking slaps the enabler in the face. This athlete's got this look of fear on his face and I understand, I go, that's no, okay, man. You, I'm not talking to this predatory woman. You step in, I'm married, you do what you gotta do. And he's like, I'm not even supposed to be here. So I know, off season, on season, you gotta be very careful if you're in the NFL. You know, so it, this enabling that his brother is doing, the one, not realizing that you were the richest guys in town, certainly the richest guys in that club, exposing yourself, and two, it's a bad look for your fucking family, man. How old are you anyway? 15, 16, 18? I haven't been excited about a titty bar since I was about 18. I've seen a lot of titties. Lots. Do I like titties? I like titties. What, am I happy to say? I'm usually happy to see them when I see them. Am I going to drop a lot of my disposable income? I guess that's a problem. I don't have disposable income. So I'm unlikely to, to, to drop it. And I understand that sex workers are workers too, and we appreciate the money. But I haven't met a single stripper who doesn't think that the people who come to our clubs are fucking suckers. I actually knew a prostitute who worked out of a, a yeah, actually, okay, okay. That's not the, don't lean heavy on the actually. That's not the focus. And she said she couldn't believe that men would pay for this. She even abstracted it to the point where she was trying to tell the other prostitutes there, said, well, you know, I always make them use condoms, but their penises are in condoms. They're not even actually really in me. I mean, imagine the penis is a shower curtain and they're naked on the other side of the shower curtain. They're not in, you know, they're not in me. And the other prostitutes just looked at her and go like, how you tell you, tell yourself whatever you need, okay? <laughs> to get through the day. So, you know, the Johnny Bunny Johnny thing, you just, I, if you were in Los Angeles, there's stuff more interesting than TD bars. But I got it. There's fucking Jackson Wink. There's the Mini Mart cats that you like to hang out with. And they're TD bars. And that's it, I guess, for a little move to L.A., man. There's a mechanism there to protect you. You know, people do know you and they're comfortable with that celebrity. You got movies, you got TV. You're in a backwater that's not benefiting you. And when your boss says shit like, you know, that guy could have been the greatest, but just squanders it, 
you know, that's like my father. My father never, he hit me once. And that's that post factor when I thought it'd be the funniest thing in the world to kick him in the ass as hard as possible. And I don't remember that him hitting me after that because I was laughing so hard. He never hit me, not my father. But he would do this thing that I found super effective. Those of you who watch Knuckle Up have figured out that it's the, the phraseology, Eugene, you of all people. He had embodied that in a look of, of stunning disappointment. So when I hear the bald one say, you know, that guy could have been the greatest, but I envision my father's face just looking at me like, I, I always knew you would fail, but never quite this spectacularly. That shit bites. And I don't know what's wrong with his brother. Let's go out and go to the, gonna leave your, your fiance and your kids at home. Man, that shit, that's not, I don't care how old you are. I don't care, you just, God damn it, man. You moved to LA. When I interviewed Lawrence Fishburne, it was at a private gentleman's club. Private. Now, when the time, day of time, while I was there, people were just drinking cognac and smoking cigars. But I didn't know what happened in that club the rest of the time. I couldn't get in. You guys got to understand. Now, look, look, McNuggets, McNuggets is, is a very different fucking story. A very different story. What he's trying to, he's in, he's in, he's in a city, Dublin, but Dublin is a small, big city or a big, small city. Not even, Reynards, I think was the name of the bar that the private club secret bar. It could be gone at this point. We were there in the 1995, 96, run by one of the crime families. Actually, that sounds totally wrong to me. Somebody from Dublin will know. By the time we got there, they knew that we were at Windmill Lane, which is U2 Studio, and we're recording with Marion Faithful, and that shit was known. Small, big town. Next thing, we're hanging out with people from the big TV station, Dublin TV, whatever it is, hanging out with them at this private club run by some crime from big, small town. Surround yourself with enablers. You might find yourself anally raping another human being. It doesn't change the fact that when the lights come on and the sun comes up the next day, you're the guy with the most amount of sausages. And now it's looking like he won't even be able to buy himself out. Lest you think it's a sympathy for the devil, it's not. You ever see somebody hit, hit by a train? I haven't. My grandfather was hit by a train, drunk on his birthday. But I did see an animal, a pigeon, get run down by a UPS truck. And I was like screaming for the bird to, ah, bird, bird. And the truck was big. It was like the world's tiniest horror movie. And then the truck just ran right over the, I mean, usually the birds always get out of the way. This truck just ran right over the fucking pigeon crushed it you know there's not something about inevitability they, they usually combine it with that word awful inevitability coke unlimited cash in the hands of somebody unused to having it which means access not nearly the correct level of paranoia because you sat surrounding yourself with four or five layers deep and even even if you're exonerated even if you're exonerated you put us in an uncomfortable situation. Us, all of us, not behind $150 million. And co-sign this shit. 
So every time somebody brings up McNuggets, I bring up Johnny Boney Joni. Every time somebody brings up Johnny Boney Joni, I bring up McNuggets because I'm trying to get it post post the, the personalities. And now we got to deal with this BJ Penn shit. What do you have? You have three really talented guys, some more recently than others uh, talented. You know from my stories about when, when BJ Penn was in Mountain View, stories that I may or may not have participated in, but that I recall with great accuracy. The bald one finally figured out, like somebody calmed me down on Twitter and said, listen, listen, Eugene, uh, you know, it, uh, you know, you know, you look at this the wrong way. How could we miss an opportunity to see this guy get his head beaten again? He's, he, he is, what is the word the guy used? <gasps> Unlikable. And this is the thing. Once you have the likability, it, once you have the Q, 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 Q quotient, the rating thing, Johnny Boney Jr.'s had it, man. He's got the charisma. But he's a gift in life. Guy I can't trust. I mean, in other words, like that friend of mine said, I usually, you do, and you're totally unpredictable. You can do anything. That's anybody who knows me well knows that's exactly not true. I'm completely fucking predictable. That's why I'm so paranoid, because anybody who clues into the fact how predictable I am could easily get me. But they're part of that predictability that makes it dangerous. Like, is he carrying a gun now? Sometimes, always, never. Eh. Try it. Predictable. One of the things that Mike Canis from, who's dead, but who used to be at the Soldier Fortune, said, "You're going to carry weapons. Carry them on the same place every time, so you don't have to check." The number one giveaway when he's fighting somebody who armed combat, of course, he got killed combat, is that people touch to make sure that their weapons are still there because they're not doing that. I never have to think about where it is because it's always the same spot, predictable. In New York City, people say, how is it you're over 45 you almost get into a fight? My mother left. The, we had the VIP dinner. Ozzy got canceled. Ozzy Fest got canceled this year because of the heat and politics. There were hit stories from the left and the right about how do we take this precious, precious public resource and charge $400 tickets for it vis-a-vis Ozzyfest being held on the Great Lawn in Central Park versus Rumsey Playfield, which is off to the side. 100,000 tickets had to be refunded because of the heat. And I was scoffing until I went out in the heat. And it was, Jesus Christ, 110 degrees. Oh, climate change is a fiction. It's not. But I'm okay with you discovering the hard way. Because I live in a temperate zone. Trained with the guys at Unity Jiu-Jitsu. Mario Bustamante wasn't there. Going to be covering that on the JJB later. So the, tune, tune in for that. If you're subscribed to this channel, it should come to you automatically. But my point is here, but my, my point is here that, that you... Well, we were leaving the club. I'm sorry, I was in the midst of telling the story. And my mother's husband opens a car door, a cab. And my mother, who's the older woman at this point, uh, you know, 79, uh, is moving off to get in the cab. And apparently there was a limo that was parked there. And the door of the cab touched the limo. And the limo driver gets out and makes a split-second thing and starts cursing at my mother's husband and, my mo- and by proxy, my mother. 
This is in front of a VIP dinner that we're being had have down in Lower Manhattan, and I flip the fuck out. I tell the guy, but I get really weirdly articulate when I get super raging. Go, you shut your fucking mouth, shut it right now. And the guy was like shocked. It's like you don't, but you came out of that car and you made a calculation. You saw a seventy-nine-year-old woman. And and her, you know, a uh, 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 sixty-five-year-old husband, and you decided, you know, fuck it, fuck it. But I'm here to tell you, you don't know who's connected to who. The guy on the staff, who's a Muay Thai fighter, you know, who recognized that the imminent danger this guy was in came and calmed me down. My mother's husband, James, look, don't, you know, calm down. You, you don't need to go to prison for this, which never enters my mind. <laughs> Incidentally, predictable, predictable. But I don't have $10 million in the bank. I don't have five, don't have one. Last time I checked, I had $600 in the bank. Thank you very much. Zero savings, $600 in a checking account. That's it. Of which now I owe $700 for a plane, a non-refundable plane ticket that I was forced to get by the powers of political violence and people with sausages on the plates. That more than what I have darkly hinted, not going into it. So, UFC 240. This attempt by the swirling plates of the Johnny Boney Joni Titty Bar incident, the McNuggets tweet storm, where he's acting really fucking strange and desperate, employing the three Ds of deflect, deny, distract, the BJ Penn Scott. The Baldwin finally backed off and goes, look, no matter what, win or lose, this is his last fight. Yeah, you think? Attacking his wife, attacking his business partner's wife, attacking bounces outside of a club or a titty bar. I don't remember. Look, I think the contenders is an able follow-on to the Ultimate Fighter TV show, which I have no idea if it's still going. Every time I say that, somebody says, no, it's still going, which means it really shouldn't be. Okay, so here we have UFC 240. I have to tell you, sadly, last night I had a choice, and the choice was go to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this is what we call Full Circle, and, or watch the fight live. I watched the fight this morning. Thank you all, Mr. B, for sending it. Watched it this morning, and it was completely unessential, non-essential. On the, on the NSS, the Nash Significance Scale, it was really fucking low and heartbreaking at the same time. So I go into it with a zero. I come out with square root of negative two. I didn't need to see that post-fucking-fight uh, interview with, with uh, 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 Frankie Edgar, who I love. I didn't pick him to win in the Care Don't Care preview, but I love Frankie Edgar. Unlike Gustafson, I think he's probably quite qualified and comfortable being the uh, uh, executive-level gatekeeper. Not a bad place to be, not a sad place to be at all for Frankie Edgar. You got a wife, you got kids, you got to eat, you got to, you know, not a bad place to be because you're going to be fighting guys who can't really beat your head in. In other words, executive level gatekeeper means many will not get by you. You will still feel like a challenge. You get your name in the press. You're still making money. And as long as you keep fighting game fights, you can fuck up your division. You won't be a champion again. Doesn't matter. You were once. They can still announce you as former you fight fights that you don't have to fucking, and you can get paid. But, you know, 
And then the cyborg thing, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Joe uh, Jogan has done this before where he, you know, I, I didn't watch it with the commentary. I did record the Care Don't Care preview, which is going to play Monday, but we already recorded it before this. We recorded it after the JJB. So order of go was watch the fights, train, JJB, ran, almost got into a fist fight at 24-hour fitness, came home, computer crashed, set up the show stomper, and then as soon as the show stoppers, upload the JJB, and then you kill me. That's the order of go. So, you know, I, didn't, I had to – Steph made mention. I went back and listened to the commentary. He always – I'm never sure whether Ho Jogan is a, is a company guy inadvertently or advertently. But he's had this weird thing with Cyborg – don't know what it is. Don't know whether she turned him down for an interview. Don't know what it is. Don't know why that relationship is as fractious as it is. You know, the, the whole thing with Tito, that's long past overdue. I, I just, I don't know why. Why keep somebody around to fucking abuse it? She's a great fucking person. She was wonderful to my kids when she met my kids. She was wonderful to me. She's a real fucking sweet soul. I didn't seem strange for a killer like that, but what do you... I guess she's in her in your mind, she's an executive level gatekeeper that is good enough to actually destroy the division, preventing anybody from getting to the champ. Um, except all but the most skilled, fundamentally stultifying the entire division. But that's what executive level gatekeepers do. You got to get. If Gustafson had him bowed out, he said, "Yeah, you got to get through me." The guy who beat me twice. You don't touch him unless you go through me. In other words, you pull a Stalin. You know, Stalin's official designation was like secretary. He figured out, much like Martin Borman or Raider O'Reilly on MASH, that, or like Kafka said, the children would have, the children were given the choice as to whether they would be kings or the couriers of kings. As children would, they all chose to be couriers of kings, which since there were no kings was essentially meaningless. They would have liked to have given up their miserable game but for their original oath of service, of course, Kafka is talking about the sub-Bible plane, material plane that we're stuck in. But it works here as well with the executive level of gatekeeper. Much more exciting to be the guy who's transmitting the messages back and forth. Stalin figured it out, so did Martin Bormann, the Nazi secretary. Oh, could you make sure that Hitler sees, sees our... No Yo, I'll make sure he sees it. Oh, God, you're not seeing shit. And then you realize, I didn't realize for years that people got in the clubs bribing doormen. I, it, you know, it was times I got in the Studio 54, it was because they thought I was a drug dealer. I thought it was because I looked cool. I'd see people go up and shake the door, and somebody put a guide, a bouncer guide in some in New York magazine at a Gothamist or something that said, don't tip your, do your, your doorman. That's cheesy. Bullshit. Bullshit. You go up, you lean in, you say, hey, bro, nice to see you again. Hey, how's it going tonight? And you slip a fucking 50 in. You slip a 10 in, guaranteed you're not getting your 10 back, and uh, you're not getting in. But 50 is small. 50, and then you pay whatever to get in. You want to get in, or you want to stand on that line? I've seen it happen. Duke em. That's what they say. Fucking Duke em. So, um, you know, where Joe is with this Ho Jogan, Joe Rogan, Ho Jogan, 
I don't. I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not sure, man. I just. I just don't understand it. I don't understand what they have, and they have a one contract extension. You know, trying to get her. It's like you know, she would rather be where she is than Bellator. But I gotta tell you, honest to God, I've worked with both organizations, and though I'm presently pissed at, at Bellator, uh, that Rory McDonald, uh, John Fitch thing, and I know John Fitch is well by his sell by date, but he did win that fight. For and you gave you knifed him in the back for Rory, whatever. But I do have to say. Having been on both sides of the media aisle with both organizations, fucking Bellator knows how to treat its people. God damn it. Top to bottom. A1. Feed the journalists. They realize honey, vinegar. I've met, I've, how many presidents have I met? Well, I've only actually met one president, Bill Clinton. Uh, it was harder for me to get a credential at a certain point from the UFC than it was for me to hang out with Bill Clinton. They treat you like thieves. There's no food. You get in, you get out. Fuck you. Up to and including Joe Silva trying to take my shirt off because it was just some shirt with a URL on it. He's like, you can't turn it inside. I said, I can sit here shirtless if you want. Or you can give me a shirt. When I talked about giving, this is how tight sausages are on plates there. I said, hey, man, I'll wear any shirt you give me. And Joe was like, ooh, Joe Silva, former matchmaker, the early version of, of Sean Shelby, also known as Keith. When I said give, he saw a sausage leaving his plate. He fled. He was just sit down. Don't stand up. Close your jacket. That's what I got from the UFC. So, yeah, it's the biggest game in town, and I'm sure she would like another chance to run back the Amanda Nunes thing. I don't think fear has anything to do with it. But you got to understand that Bellator is a nice place to be. You don't want to hear fucking Musas. You know, okay, yes, uh, Rampage complained about it. But it may be that Rampage, even though he was also really wonderful to my kids and really nice to me, he may be a clubhouse cancer. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that Cyborg, I think, was done dirty. And those of you who want to see something else in that fight, you're nuts. There were other fights in the card. You know, there was a big don't care that became a care. But, of course, because I didn't care about them going into it, I don't remember their names coming out of it, but it was an exciting fight. Huh? That's what I'm talking about, lukewarm. That's not what you want. If we were talking about sex, specifically if we were talking about sex with you, I said, oh, yeah, she said, or he said about sex with you. That's ah, right. Didn't really remember your name, but that's it, right? You know, I wrote an article for Ozzy.com about being on the end. I think the title was on the end of a fa false criminal accusation. Some woman trying to curry favor with the Saturday Night Live writer who we were all friends with told him some shit that she thought would ingratiate himself to her. And that's at the last time she saw me that I raped her. I wrote a piece about it. And I confronted her then, and I confronted her about it now for the piece. And I had to change her name. And she apologized and goes, ah, you know, I realized that was really fucking shitty. I don't know how that was supposed to, I don't know how that was supposed to work, that he would somehow find you sexier because he thought you that, that I raped you. But that... Anybody who knew us knew that was not at all what happened. So I go back to him in concluding his piece, and I say, hey, um, um, do you remember uh, running into, by Rockefeller Center, running into this woman? Uh, I'm not going to name her on the show. And he goes, who? And I went through her name. I don't remember her. I went through the year that she was at Stanford. No, she was older than me. No. I describe her, no. So I go back to her and go, he doesn't remember you. 
was that fucking asshole? What do you mean? Does it remember me? We were we were roommates. I go, okay. So I go back to him. He goes, she says you were roommates. He's like, not ringing any bells, man. Not ringing any bells. Bellator is a nicer place to be. You treat this woman like garbage, that's one thing. But you continue to do it, you do so to your detriment. It's not clear to me why it's a bad look. It's not just sports critiquing. Something else is going on. What it is ain't exactly clear. I'm not saying conspiracy, but I'm just saying I haven't figured it out. It smells strange to me. The other fights on the card, there were a few other fights on the card that were worthy talking about, but I don't know. It's usually they can't all be good. I'm not asking for all of them to be good. Not asking for that at all. What I'm asking for is a sense that somebody's hand is on the tiller, not in the till, on the tiller. There have been other fights, this, I mean, within the last three months that on paper were kind of snoozy. And in the end, you, you do remember because we were like praising Sean Shelby, also known as Keith. We were praising him the high heavens like, man, that guy's really on it. Well, I guess he can't always be on it. and He's one man. One man. But what's happening is, like happened to my friend Chicho Impostado, when that baseball strike hit, a guy who had been going to baseball games since he was seven years old with his father and his brothers, and out, you know, uh, and they bonded over their love, mutual love of the Mets, uh, found himself in the strike, dying inside for the sport. And I could be that I'm having a negative take on it because of the death of two boxers. I, boxing is brutal. It's hard for me to watch now because there are only two strike zones. There's the head and the stomach. That's it. No errant kicks. No fucking nothing. Nothing, nothing. Tune in tomorrow for the Care Don't Care because I give a breakdown of the Santos thing. Actually having suffered a ruptured quadricep tendon myself as well as uh, ACL in the third show of an Oxbow, two-week Oxbow tour. Having to duct tape my leg to get through the tour and them telling me after they had the surgery, if I don't, I'm going to be crippled for life. And after the surgery, you'll be good to go in six months. Six months for hobbling around to fucking rehab. So you have to step up on that block and go, you fucking kidding? Don't waste my time. I tried to step up on this little tiny apple box and almost crashed onto the floor. Had to drive from the other, had to get into the car from the other side, dragging my stiff leg. It took me a year and a half before I could train again. I got it. And this is without guys like Johnny Boney Jr. trying to kick me in the leg or me kicking his leg. Santos is done. He is done. Take that to the bank. Listen to the Care Don't Care preview. We talk about it. Non, non, you know, we either look back at the fights that have happened or forward to the fights. Care Don't Care. But we have a, a couple of off-topic discussions. Listen, learn. Listen to it. But I'm not, what I'm asking for here is I'm asking for, uh, for example, there might be, there's a restaurant in San Francisco called Toulon that was always getting closed by the health department, but the food was great. There'd be lines down the street in a really gamey section of town, you know, um, homeless people like that, pigeon dropping, standing, uh, SRO hotels nearby, single room occupancy, but the food was great. People would go there and eat. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the UFC needs to be. But this pervasive fucking stink of, you know, anal rape in Dublin with the lunacy attendant with the tweet storm and the shit, and all these guys that have been high, having quiet Q ratings, plunged into the toilet, making you feel like you're in the worst fucking club in town. 
That's not how I want to end my week. That's not how I want to end my Saturday night. That's not what I want to drag my wife to when we got other things to do. Nine decisions. Guy crying about his fucking loss. Titty grabbing, vagina grabbing, possibly, or, you know, cash cash grabbing chicanery on the part of the, the, the unwashed underclasses. Who knows? It's the best and it's the worst. And on the delicate balance of fight night, that's what we got our fingers in the air feeling. I'm sorry, I mixed the metaphor there. It just so happens that the weight of, of goodness coming out of UFC 240 doesn't factor in all of this other. And the thing is, sympathy for the bald one, you can't stop it. He can no more control McNuggets than Johnny Boney Joni or BJ Penn than he can, you know, at this point now, he probably can't even control the whole Joe You just kind of hope things flow in the right direction and expect the best. And hope, I mean, can you? Listen, listen, listen for one goddamn second. I got to tell you, this is sympathy for the for the devil to a certain degree. But if you think, if you think that the bald one's job is an easy job, you're out of your mind. Honest to God. And I'm just taking that from watching one of the nicest guys I know in MMA, Javier Mendez, deal with AKA over the years. Over the, I've known Javier since we took Muay Thai together. Back in 1986 or 87, somewhere in there, known him for a long time. And I've seen AKA, but man, I, when I started training there, when my daughter, my 22 year old daughter, soon to be 23 year old daughter, was a kid, took her first steps there. But the kind of shit that these guys have to, you got strong personalities. Like I said, when I start a fight, when I'm doing, you know, um, you know I'd like to give a guy a face palm. And a guy who's had a really bad upbringing, this will typically flip him the fuck out. You know how many times I've done that? Maybe probably like 17 or 18. You know many how many times people flipped out when I did that? About 14. The three who didn't were wrestlers who were used to hands in the faces. Imagine having to roll with 375 or how 475 however many fighters there are in the card. God damn it. I can't, you know, I, I can't, you know, I want to talk shit about the bald one, but honest to God, he's got a hard job. And you know who's got a harder job? Sean Shelby, also known as Keith, because he's got it from below and he's got it from above. In other words, what I'm doing right now is recognizing how difficult it is to run that oopsie ship, but it doesn't get you off the hook for running it well. Fuck it. You know, you knew what the job was when you took it. So that's the end of V73. 73. Oh, what? European style. 73. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there you go. I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. If you feel like donating before the month is out, you got no reason to. I've only, this is like the second show I've done this month. Don't. Patreon.com slash the stomper. Of course, if I don't make any money this month in August, uh, August 1st, the next show, which will be on this other, I guess is youtube.com slash webcam, uh, quick streaming. I got to try that if I don't want to do this pay system. Um, you do what you can. That's all.
right now, if you're listening and you go to Ozzy.com and type in, uh, I have, well, if you follow me at, at, at Eugene S. Robinson on Twitter, you can see that I've done, uh, what the fuck did I put up? Um, the, the new sex story. I'll retweet it because I'm going to retweet the link to this because I couldn't get it going before. I don't know what else I have on Ozzy coming up this week. Also, New York Hardcore Chronicles, 10 questions on YouTube. Uh, the great uh, hardcore historian, filmmaker, Drew Stone, uh, did an interview with me. If you like hardcore music, New York hardcore music specifically, or old punk rock, or new punk rock, uh, it, it's a chapter of my life that most of you guys have been exposed to. I talk about a lot of shit from you know New York hardcore days, early hardcore, end of punk rock, early hardcore. You should listen to it. I'll try to put the link in the description uh, to it so you can hear it. Prima facie. That's not the right word, but whatever. You know what I mean. So anyway, that's the show. I'm your host. I've gone way over. Uh, Eugene S. Robinson. Uh, I'm choking to death. We'll see you on Tuesday for If the if I Did It and If the Shoes Fit around 7.20 or 7.30, unless Nate's still on vacation and Nash has to fill in, in which case it'll be 7.45, immediately followed by If the Shoes Fit. Until and next Sunday, it'll be once again. You got it, Showstopper. I'm back for the long haul. Not planning to go anywhere. Uh, the wife and I are going to take a vacation maybe in December. Not planning to go anywhere now. See you for the long term next week. Take care of yourself. Be careful. Look what you made me do!